0: morning and welcome to each one. LeVon and Beth, thank you for sharing that song. I can't see you right now. I'm not sure where you're at. There you are. Thank you. Beautiful song. Love to hear that song again. Powerful message in it. And it's a, it, it, it puts a little bit of the awe into the situation, doesn't it? It's very good. Nathan, it's good to have you back. Good to see your face again, and uh, heard God's been doing good things in your life. I look forward to that. It's good to hear Leanne here. Bonjour. And is <laughs> It's good to have you here, Leanne. All right. Brings memories of uh, years ago, being up north. And then uh, it's also good to have... Andrea's family here and get to know them I know that I know what it's like to make a major move and uh, so may God give you grace as you uh, you go through that adjustment I know what that's like it's not always the easiest thing Marlene it's good to have you here good to see your face I hope I'm not overlooking anyone I want to do something a little bit different this morning, um, and uh, I do want to take and, and turn your attention to the uh, title that I've uh, chosen this morning. It's Noel, A Church is Born, and uh, what I'd like to do is to have you stand, and we're going to read the, uh, the story out of Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. And the reason I put it on the PowerPoint is I know that there's some variations of versions of New King James, the King James and different ones. This is from the New King James. And so uh, you can use the PowerPoint so that we're all in unison on, on the reading of this passage of Scripture. I'll start you out, and then I'll sort of go in the background because of the uh, me having the mic, okay? Here we go. And it came to pass in those days... The census first took place while Caranus was governor in Syria. So all went to be registered, every everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were a come, he delivered. And she brought forth her first son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over the flocks by night. And behold, the angel of the Lord stood before them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore. The angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you the tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, "Glory to God in highest, and on earth peace, good will toward man." So it was when the angel had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, "Let us now go to Bethlehem." And see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known to us. And they came with haste, found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made wisely known the say which was told them concerning this child and all those who heard it. The horrible those things which were told them by the shepherds, but Mary kept all these things and honored them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. Thank you. You may be seated. Being aware that uh, it would be the uh, Sunday before Christmas, I was struggling to know whether I should direct a message on the theme of Christ's birth or whether I should continue on the series that I've been teaching on the New Testament church, New Testament ecclesiology. And then the other evening, the answer came to me. In the middle of the night, I woke up suddenly uh, for no apparent reason. And immediately, the phrase crossed my mind. Noel, a church is born in the middle of the night. And uh, it it just sort of came from out of... And right away, I linked to the verse there in verse 11, where it says, For there is born to you in the city of David a Savior which is Christ the Lord? And I knew that I had the answer. Uh, there was going to be a message that would bind the two together. In fact, as I lay there, I re- uh, repeated the verse in the, uh, that, uh, and, and inserted the, the word church in there where I said, For there is born to you in the city of David a church which is Christ the Lord. And I got excited as I thought about the fact that Christmas or the birth of Christ is the true beginning of the church. And I thought it appropriate to blend the two themes together this morning for the message. You know, the mystical appeal of of the Christmas story has has a tendency to lose its charm or maybe its... um, mystery as we grow older in other words someone said once that familiarity tends to breed contempt some of you here have witnessed over 80 christmases come and go or seasons come and go some are in the halfway mark 50 the half a century some of you are young enough you've only seen a few of them and and uh, that just the, the excitement that may go with that. One of the reasons that I wanted us to read this passage together is because I didn't want anyone going through this season without at least once reading this passage of Scripture. It's easy to do that sometimes. We know the story so well and we become, we become accustomed to it and, and so we sort of gloss over the, the passage and And it's just a story that we've known for many, many years. But this morning, I want some congregational interaction. And I want to hear from you. I want you to highlight some of the details of the story that stood out to you as we were reading it. A response from you. What was it? What were some of the, the details or some of the things that really stood out to you or didn't it? Go ahead. Is that how they did that? Okay. <laughs> Jonathan. The that the had to go, find go find. Okay, go find. They went with haste. What else? Okay. She had a couple other messages prior to that, didn't she? And uh, what, yeah, Mary, did you know? <laughs> That's a good song. Richard. Richard the shepherds they broadcast it okay okay very good good things what else okay they were sort of the outcasts of the culture weren't they okay anything else Okay. The awe. Well, I'd like to also just point out a few story as I reread it and as I thought about this church that was born that night, the beginning of the church. And I'd like to just make a couple comments this morning. The first one is from the response of the angels. When they said, I, uh, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Now, it's easy for me to sort of detach myself from the story. The angels had met the shepherds that night in the field. The angels gave the message to the shepherds. And the message was sort of just geared for them that day and then. And, and it sort of ends of, uh, the end of the story there. But as I reread it again this this weekend, as I reread it again, uh, and I sort of sidestep from the familiarity of the passage and really read it for what it says, I became keenly aware that I am included in this story. It says, "I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to." All people, and I just assume that if all means everything that I'm included in that. Part of the thing that, the message that was given that night, yes, it was given to those humble shepherds out there. They received the message initially, but they were not the sole priority of the message. I was included in that, and so are you. They had to share it with us. The second and third and fourth points that I want to highlight are also part of the message that the angels gave. And they said, today is born a Savior. The Greek word is sotar, and, uh, and it's, it's translated as, as Savior. It, it, it's mentioned 24 times in the, in the New Testament and 24 times out of 24 it is always translated as savior now i want i want to explain this that when you go into translation work anyone that does translating and even if we do from dutch to english or from english to greek or greek to english we all know that sometimes there are more than one there's more than one word for uh, the same word in another language. An example of that is uh, going from the English to the Greek would be the word love. We have one word for love in the English. But in Scripture, we know that there's two words that explain love. One is akapio, and the, one, uh, the other one is phileo. And so there's two words, and so, so there's a different dynamic in the Greek than there is in the English. And of course, it goes the other way around. Now, this is a big deal because Sotar or Savior has no substitutes. Regardless of whether you translate it from English to Greek or Greek to English, Sotar always translates as Savior and it always means a deliverer. Now, can any other religion boast that there is a deliverer to all people? There have been some leaders in the past who have been deliverers to some people. Moses, he delivered the Jews out of Egypt. But that was only some people in that day. Abraham Lincoln delivered, as it were, the slaves from slavery. But that was only a percentage of the people. There is no one, no religion that can boast one person being a deliverer to all people. But the Savior can. The Savior can. A third point that I want to bring to your attention that is in almost every case and not quite all 24 times that Savior is mentioned but almost all of them in the New Testament whenever the word Savior is used the word Christ is also used. There is born today a Savior which is Christ. Christos, Christos has the idea of being anointed or the Messiah. The baby that we celebrate is the anointed deliverer, as it were. And then added to that is the fourth observation, which is also simply that the word, oftentimes in conjunction to the word Savior in Christ, is the word Lord. There is born today a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Now, not every time in the New Testament do those three words go together, but most of the times it does. There's born a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. The word simply means supreme in authority. Now, this title has the idea, or when you connect all three titles together, it translates as the anointed deliverer who is supreme in authority. The anointed deliverer who is supreme in authority. These three titles together summarizes the saving work of Jesus Christ and his sovereign position. And so does it not seem appropriate then that he is the head of the church? Now I'd like to take a, a turn to a corresponding passage. And again I'm going to have you stand and we're going to, have to, to read this passage uh, together as well. And it's found in Ephesians chapter 5 verses 22 through 33. So stand again and we'll read this passage of scripture as well. Okay, ready? Here we go. Wives, submit yourselves as to the Lord. The husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and He is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let their wives also in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you particularly So love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Thank you. You may be seated. I'm going to do something. I'm going to reread this. I'm going to insert the titles that were given Jesus at birth. Wives, submit submit to your husbands as to the supreme in authority, for the husband is head of the wife, as also the anointed is head of the church, and he is the deliverer of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to the anointed, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as the anointed also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word that he might present her to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that she should be holy and without blemish so husbands but I speak concerning the anointed and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you, in particular, so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Seven times, the three titles that we find announced at the birth is used also to describe the correlating relationship in marriage and the church with Christ. Isn't that amazing? I never saw it before. I never put the two together. And I found a new depth in this passage when I inserted those titles in that passage of Scripture. This past week, GLAD followed through with a family tradition that we started years ago. And um, it probably uh, may have come from uh, something that my mom did. I remember my mom doing that. Uh, and that is just going and giving something to our neighbors during this time of the year. Just a little package, a gift card, a gift, a little gift in a, in a card, and, and uh, just hand delivering it to our neighbors. Did that up in Canada. We've done it since we're back here. And we feel it's a great way. For us to reach out to our neighbors. It's easy to wave high and bye and and sort of miss each other during the year, but it's a a way to keep in touch and to let them know that we value them as friends. Well, this year we moved the boundary lines a little bit uh, to include some of the people that we've been getting to know along uh, the times that we've been taking our walks and just stopping and chatting once in a while. The other night we were taking a walk and And a couple came out of their driveway and towards us, and they had a a gift that they were carrying. And as I met them, I said, Oh, I said, You wouldn't have had to bring that to me. And uh, of course, we laughed and talked a little bit there. Well, one of the neighbors in particular this year that she felt pressed to make contact with was Sheila Hirschberger. And when she stepped, uh, stopped by to uh, deliver, the package to her, uh, uh, Sheila stepped out on the porch, and they chatted for a few minutes, and then, uh, Glad just said, just before she left, she said, well, Sheila, um, we just want you to know that we really care about what you're going through right now, and we just want you to know that we're praying for you, and that, that we love you, and Sheila just threw her arms around, uh, Glad, and, and, um, and just with a voice that was etched with unbearable pain, you know she said, "I just there's absolutely no way that I could make it during this time without friends like you." And um, And my reason for saying this story is not to pat us on the back. that's not the point at all, or even to expose Sheila. In her situation. But I bring it up because I want to talk about what happens when the husband and wife relationship ends in divorce or something similar to it. The passage in Ephesians 5 says that when, when we engage with a person of the opposite gender, and it culminates in a marriage, it says that that the two become one flesh. And this might be a little bit hard to comprehend since since there are still two individuals, two individual bodies in the marriage. However, marriage brings an unforeseen connection that is not visible to the human eye, but it's written all over our soul. And when one or both parties, individuals, in that union decides to separate ways, there is literally a tearing apart of the flesh. And that's what our sister's going through at this time. She's going through what it means to tear the flesh. So we're one flesh. And that is being torn apart. she's literally being torn away from her husband, and the pain is almost unbearable. And it's certainly not meant to be. I, I, is there any reason you know and, and so so God uses this this picture of husband and wife when he's talking about the relationship in the church and with Christ he's He's bringing in this, this picture of one flesh, the church with Christ. And, and can you imagine what happens when, when a church unanimously decides to accept things that go contrary to Scripture, uh, as it were. And maybe maybe it's what we are witnessing today, church after church accepting And openly accepting, acknowledging, okaying illegitimate relationships such as homosexuality or divorce and remarriage. And and there's this tearing apart that happens that I think is why God says that I hate divorce. By the way, that church is supposed to be over on the other side there, on the other end. God hates divorce, and there's a reason he hates divorce. It's easy for us to sort of maybe step on this side of it and look at it and say, yes, God hates divorce, and yes, we're not going to be even part of that. But I want to bring, and by the way, you know, this part of society as we know it in our culture It's largely accepted. And the more familiar we become with it, the less, the less impact we have when we hear of it. Now, it may impact us a little bit more when it comes close to home with people who value marriages that last a lifetime. But, in the larger society, in our culture, that's basically a thing. That it's almost a thing of expectancy. We anticipate it. We expect it. But I want to bring it another step closer to us. Is church divorce also an accepted norm among us? Now, let me just let me just explain what I mean by that. Val Yoder in his book, he's written the book entitled I Will Build My Church. He addresses this problem in a chapter that is entitled Ecclesiastical Divorce. And he observes that, he observes that that uh, our Anabaptist churches, our Anabaptist churches that within these churches there is an unscripturally high parting of ways over issues of disagreement with leaders or significant others in the body. And the New Testament clearly teaches that Christians will have such a love for one another that they are willing to lay down their lives for each other. Yet many, many people have shifted from one congregation to another because of an unwillingness to lay down their preferences, maybe a preferred application, maybe a past grievance, maybe a broken relationship or a misunderstanding with their brother or sister. Now, I'm not here... (laughs) if you have come from another congregation, I'm not here to condemn you. That's not what I'm talking about. What I really want to do, and here's the heart of my message, and you'll hear it at the end of the message as well, is I want you to reconsider raising the bar of commitment. That's the thrust of the message from here on out. Listen, if it, if, if, Would it not stand to reason that if marriage depicts church relationships as it speaks about in Ephesians chapter 5, that the same tearing apart that takes place when a spouse leaves home is the same tearing apart that we experience when someone exits through those doors permanently? Should it or shouldn't it? Now, I understand that there's a level of intimacy within a marriage that is not experienced on a church level. But I want you to think about a couple things. I want to give you a couple examples in Scripture. One of them being Joshua and Caleb. You remember Joshua and Caleb? They were one of 12 who went into... One of the children. What was Joshua and Caleb and 10 other men What were they supposed to do? Who can tell me? One of you children. Yes. Yes, they were supposed to spy what? They were supposed to spy out the land of Canaan, right? They were going to go in there, and they were going to see whether they could conquer the land of Canaan. And we know what happened there. They came back, and Joshua and Caleb said, Yes, there are giants in the land. Yes there' there's, it's, 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 there's, there's a lot of there's a lot of enemy force out there but yes we can conquer it in the name of Jesus we can go in there and conquer it and let's go and the 10 others said no there is no way there's no way that we can go in there. We're going to be slaughtered if we go in there And they were outnumbered 10 to one or 10 to two. Now, let me ask the question, because we're on this side of history, who was right? Huh? Joshua and Caleb were right, weren't they? I mean, we see it later on. When they actually did go into the land, they were able to conquer it. And God would have given them. We know God. We know, we know, the, we know the attributes of God. If he says that he'll do it, he'll do it. And so Joshua and Caleb were right. However, how many in our contemporary churches, if they would have found themselves in that situation, would have found their goal worth cutting off relationships and heading for Canaan anyhow? They're right. God said it, we better go. And so, we'll cut off relationships if that's what it means and we're going to head for Canaan. But they didn't. In fact, there was a near stoning for what they did. They endured a near stoning and suffered. Listen to this phrase, they suffered with the majority opinion for the next 40 years. Is there a lesson we can learn from that? Uh, I'm going to give you another illustration. uh, Jeremiah. He's another example. Jeremiah strongly encouraged the Jews to surrender to the Babylonians. But when they did not, he stayed with them anyway. He didn't part company with them. He stayed with them anyway, even though he knew in his heart what they should have been doing. And as a result, the Babylonians eventually came, and they conquered them. Now, how many in our contemporary church members would have drawn a line in the sand, stood on principle, and parted company with the congregation. At least they wouldn't have been taken captive. Well, the Jews were taken captive. Now, Jeremiah, along with a few of the remnant people, were left behind to take care of the land, okay? He was left behind along with some others, a few of them. But the ones that stayed behind to take care of the land were fearful and so they wanted to head to Egypt uh, to run away to Egypt. And he pled with them. Jeremiah pled with them not to go. But when they did anyway, we find out that he went with them. I know. I know that this teaching raises all kinds of questions and potential controversy. What do you do if? What if the majority errs on the side of biblical mandate? Is there ever a time when it's right to leave and on and on a volley of questions can go? And my point this morning is not to try to figure out if or when it's time to leave a congregation. That's not the point of the message this morning. But I do want to, I do want to call out from you this morning a level of commitment to the body to which you're currently connected. Raise that level, several bars. In fact, I would challenge you to consider raising it to the level that you have towards your spouse with whom you are currently in a relationship with. And by the way, if you're not in a relationship with anyone, if you're not married, I would challenge you to raise it to a level of commitment that you see to the degree of someone who is connected to their spouse. You've heard me lament, <laughs> and I'll continue to lament, how, how easy it is for people to disconnect from a local body. And, and, and I'd like to see, by God's grace, see this congregation come to the place that when someone was leave, we feel the pain That Sheila's experiencing today. That there is a love. That there is a connection. That there is a commitment to each other. That we will not leave you behind. Even if we know you are going on the wrong path. We are willing to stand with you. Not in agreement with you. Not in agreement with the wrong. that we are willing to wait it out tough. I can testify by the grace of God that my relationship with glad is secure enough that a parting of the ways has seldom, if ever, been entertained. And I'm confident she feels the same way about the relationship with me. It's just not part of of the equation between us. It's It's not something that we keep out on the table. Couples who entertain that kind of thinking set themselves up for that kind of destiny. The same is true of church life. If you hold out part within your heart that says, well, I can always find another church if, then you will hardly give yourself wholly to that body of believers. And eventually, you could find yourself being torn away from the very body that Christ commands you to lay down your life for. Now, I also I also understand that that Christianity is much bigger than just one congregation. Um, but I think it's especially that way in a in a congregational setting where we are committed to each other, where there is where there is a level of commitment. That does not, an obligation, I might add, that it's not necessarily that way to another Christian in another part of of, uh, the world. Someone, you know that that saying, someone said, uh, sow a thought, reap an action, sow an action, reap a habit, sow a habit, reap a character, Sow a character and reap a destiny. And what I want to do this morning, if you are here this morning not fully committed to this body, then I would would like to sow sow a thought in your heart. The kind of thought that says, you know what, I am willing. I'm willing to lay down my life for the person that's sitting next to me. And I'm not talking about spouses. I'm talking about the people that are committed to each other in this congregation. I'm willing to lay down my life for that person. It is so easy for me. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm the first one. I admit that I've said things and I've done things that were not kind and were not, did not build the body. And, and maybe the level of commitment wasn't there. And I need to grow in that. And I just challenge all of us to raise that level of commitment to each other. It's, it's what Jesus came to do. It's my goal by the grace of God to help you think in terms of lifelong commitment as Jesus instructed us in Ephesians chapter 5 voluntary submission to each other and a love that surpasses congregational or personal differences that otherwise would tear us apart. Being willing to lay down our lives and differences for the sake of the brother, for the testimony of God and his witness, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if, let's say it together, if, that's right. This, my friends, is the glad tiding of great joy to all people that the angels said over 2,000 years ago. Unto you is born this day in the city of David, the anointed deliverer who is in supreme authority, who, who loves us with an unconditional love, and who is willing and who was willing To lay down his life for us. You and I are the recipients of that gift. And we should gladly submit to that leadership. Or to that lordship I should say. And as a result of that relationship. Also be committed to each other. Let's pray and then Keith I'm just going to turn it over to you. Father in the name of Jesus we come to you this morning. We're so grateful Father. For the anointed deliverer who is in supreme authority. Lord, that I am part of that plan. We all are part of that plan. It didn't just rest with the shepherds. But that message was to all people. Lord, today and this coming week and the coming months and years, we continue to celebrate that birth lord may make a real difference in our lives and how we love each other what our level of commitment is to each other and lord in that way we would increase our witness to the community around us we commit ourselves to you guide and keep us bless us direct us this week as we go throughout this time of celebration and may you watch over us and care for us in your name we pray amen